This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. On this January 10th, it's Tuesday. Welcome to Real Talk. Thanks for making time for us. You know, every once in a while at the outset, I'm, I'm trying to think of what the metaphor might be. You know, there's there's going to be a show that is just going to rock and roll and it's going to keep moving. We've got a, a stacked guest lineup today. Plus, we have a ton of emails, uh, which might not surprise you if you tuned into our show yesterday. Charles, and Adler, uh, Charles Adler and I with a, a spontaneous conversation around uh, vaccine status. And how it translates uh, implications uh, with regards to organ donations and uh, a, a story that I think has been flying under the radar for the most part in our home jurisdiction, the province of Alberta, a woman who was on a donor recipient list or at least the wait list. She needs an organ. Uh, privacy legislation stands in the way. They're not saying which organ she needs. There's not a lot of details, but we do know that she's lost two court challenges. She's not vaccinated. She's not vaccinated for the COVID vaccine, that is. She's got all her other shots, but not the COVID shots, and she's off the list, which means that she's not even going to be considered to get an organ. And Chuck and I were taking a look at this story on the surface, having glanced at the story yesterday, and we started to ruminate about whether or not that was the type of society we wanted to live in, a society where someone might be bumped off a list uh, for consideration for an organ. For donation, to receive an organ for donation. And Johnny, by the way, we won't even get into it now. We had an interesting conversation off air yesterday. What about the other way? What about if you're someone who hasn't been vaccinated and you want to donate your organs? And boy, oh boy. Now, of course, what matters most here is the medical professionals and the policy that's been developed with science. But there also needs to be room for debate among members of a society about what values we hold dear and what type of a society we want. And we promise you that Real Talk will continue to be an arena, a forum for those types of debates. But also there's accountability. And that's why today we're going to get to a number of the emails that you've written in literally dozens of emails yesterday. We don't have time to read them all, but I've pulled about six six or seven, and we'll pull excerpts from those emails. A physician, uh, an ICU nurse, a transplant recipient, someone that was on a list but did not receive an organ, family members of people that have required organs, and some great messages, some great perspectives on that. Dr. Bradley Martin's a friend of this show. We may refer to him as our unofficial medical correspondent. I'm not sure if he wants to accept that title and the pressure that might come with it, but he's a family doc out of Hinton. He's one of those that sent us an email yesterday, and we're going to welcome Dr. Martin to the show coming up in about 20 minutes time. So lots of room for discussion. We're also talking about other items making news, and we're also going to meet a couple of other personalities that really, quite frankly, have nothing to do with organ transplantation or vaccines unless they choose to take the stories there coming up in about 40 minutes from now. He's a, he's a phenom. We have celebrated him on this show before and the waves that he's making in Canadian media circles. He's like 14 years old. As a matter of fact, I don't even know if he's 14 yet. He might still be 13. Wyatt Sharp is the host of the Wyatt Sharp show. He's interviewing the prime minister. He's interviewing Canadian premiers. No big deal. This guy has honestly been doing such a great job driving discussion 
In driving dialogue, he celebrates his approach to unbiased coverage. This is a kid whose awareness is off the charts and and really whose sense of what matters to people and whose skill when it comes to storytelling uh, defies his young age. And so Wyatt Sharp's going to join us. We thought it would be kind of cool the first week or so, first couple of weeks of 2023 to check in with him and see what, what his generation's talking about. What's on his radar? What are the stories resonating with him? And we lead off today with a fascinating story in tech. You may have seen this or not. You've no doubt heard about this this new AI, right? This chatbot, chat GPT, right? Basically, and we're going to get our, our lead-off guest this morning, our, our lead-off hitter to, to explain this all to us. But basically, it's it's AI that, that can compose prose. It can put words together in some circumstances where, let's say hypothetically, a paper may be submitted for a university course to a professor, and that professor is unable to determine if a real human or if the chat bot, chat GPT, wrote the paper. Obviously, with new tech comes its trade-offs, and there are positives, but there are negatives as well. And that's what Edward Tien's been working on. He's a, a Princeton University student, and over the New Year break, he, well, he developed an app that can detect plagiarism Using chat GPT, how cool is that? He calls it GPT Zero. Edward, kind enough to join us this morning, making his Real Talk debut. It's so nice to see your face. Happy New Year to you, and thanks for making time for us. Thanks so much, Ryan. Happy New Year as well, and it's great to be on the show. Uh, Obviously, uh, you have a a real command of this tech, and I think the implications, and I'm looking forward to picking your brain on it. But for for those of us that might not be 100% able to articulate exactly what chat GPT is. Can, can you bring us up to speed in layperson's terms? Absolutely. So chat GPT is a really exciting new technology. You can think of these large machine models that are being built as they're ingesting huge portions of the internet, like hundreds and hundreds of terabytes of text. And they're looking through these texts for patterns. And they're using these patterns to uh, help inform this AI on how to generate text. Um, And this technology is so incredibly new and exciting, but it also feels like it's been suddenly thrust upon the world, that ChatGPT is suddenly ready for commercialization. And a lot of people are still wrapping their head around the implications because with every new technology, we need to be adopting these technologies responsibly. Um, and and so we're, we're still grappling with that. Yeah, the world is still grappling with that. And I think you've nailed it. With the advent of something new, especially when it roars in quickly, people kind of get caught on their heels. Collectively, we do. And we go, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're, we're not necessarily familiar with this. And what does this mean? And what are the implications? But but the one word you just used really jumps out at me, and that's exciting. So you're not here to say that this technology, this AI is inherently bad. Not No, not at all. In fact, a lot of people have thought that, you know, GPT-0 is going against ChatGPT. That's really not the case. I think AI is the future. AI is definitely here to stay. This ChatGPT technology is only going to get better and better. So it's really not about, um, you know, banning this technology or fighting against this technology. It's about how we can adopt it responsibly and have the safeguards. So we're not entering this new AI future blindly. So can, can you give us some examples of how you can see this tech of, of chat GPT being applied in a really positive, beneficial way? How might people see it implemented in the next, you know, one to 24 months? 
Yeah. So I actually use a version of ChatGPT that's um, pretty much the same technology for code generation. And I actually use it to help me write code myself. So it's it's almost ironic that I was building GPT-0, the, the app that detects ChatGPT involvement with, with some technologies that, that are, are sort of with the chat GPT involvement technology. A little bit of an irony there that someone pointed out, but yeah, there's there's potential for it to really get people started on on things like uh, writing code or or just starting, you know, an essay and getting ideas uh, and and also searching for answers as well. That it does really well with asking it just like questions you might Google, but now you can ask Chat GPT. Okay, this is a really elementary level question, but but yeah. with with AI constantly encountering problems and, and and solving them, that's my basic understanding of how AI works. Uh, wouldn't wouldn't Chat GPT detect that it was being used by you to to defeat itself or or to recognize its own detection and therefore through a uh, self-preservation mode interfere with your attempt to use chat gpt to develop your app gpt zero how does how does ai play into that well i'm, I'm wrapping my brain all around all around that uh, <laughs> uh, no kidding so uh it, it's 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 pretty simple here the uh, so chat gpt and all of these gpt technology can get you started but they can't do the work for you um so you really still need to uh, build the app or code it you really still need to you know write your essays they're not coming up with new ideas what really chat gpt or a lot of these ai models do is that they're regurgitating patterns they've already seen uh in in, in writing that's on the internet or work that's already on the internet and nothing is really original that uh, is coming out of what ChatGPT is writing. Okay, so so what what uh, it's not like it's going to cure cancer or something like that. It's it's not going to no. develop the next theory of relativity. Uh, no. you're, so you're sitting here over my understanding over your holiday break. Like it sounds to me yeah. like you used your New Year's break at Princeton uh, to write code and develop this new app GPT Zero. Was it was it prompted? I mean, I, I teed it up as though it was prompted to combat plagiarism. Was that the driving force, or is that just maybe one of the applications? That was absolutely that was the initial application just because we've heard so much recent you know buzz about this was just really thrust upon the world and teachers and educators are still wrapping their heads around how are they going to you know work with chat gpt uh like being accessible to everybody and they're still wrapping their head uh, and yeah the the big picture is like everybody deserves to know the truth on whether something is human involved or AI involved. So the big picture is, I don't think it's just two teachers versus students using GPT zero or these technologies. It's everybody because everybody wants to know and deserves to know. Are you getting the stink eye from fellow students? Yeah. So initially there was a lot of like buzz on, oh, wow. So, um, you know, it's being a narc or, or not, not really, you know, like why, why are you ruining a good thing? But really, I, I'm not thinking about it like that at all. I'm not opposed to students using AI when it makes sense. In fact, I think it's a future. I use like, you know, ChatGPT or generation technology to build the app in, in my own coding process. I think it's a future, <laughs> but we absolutely need to enter this future responsibly. And it's it's like the solution is not to you know ban chat gpt from schools the solution is to know like when it is used so teachers can also address it responsibly can you is it possible for you to explain to us how your app 
works if, yeah. if we don't understand how apps work you know what i'm saying yeah totally. like, like i'm a, re- I'm a the, real pleb you yeah. want the quick explanation yeah the, the one that you know all of us can understand not your princeton okay. colleagues yeah yeah totally totally um so it's uh, so gpt zero uses two things perplexity and burstiness you can think of perplexity as putting a text under a microscope and using data from the chat GPT model itself to see if it likes the text or not, if it's like familiar with the text or not. Um, and if it is really familiar with the text, if it's seen it in its own like training data set, then it's more likely to be machine generated. You can think of uh, the second variable, bur- sorry, the second variable burstiness as the big picture. If we're looking at um, the text over time or the perplexity over time, humans, will have like their perplexity over time vary all over the place. They'll go up and down versus a machine, uh, a machine text will be more, you know, constant over time. It'll be more boring and it'll be, it'll be like, it looks like a baseline. Um, So, so there's, there's that the two, two, it's like a microscope indicator and a big picture indicator. Very cool stuff. Um, First of all, can I, let me me just compliment you, by the way, Um, it's two different skill sets. Uh, to, to have the wherewithal and the ability and the the, the insight and, and, and really the talent uh, that you have to develop tech like this, uh, but also to be able to explain it to people uh, is a whole different skill set. And uh, what a great ambassador you are for this. Um, let me ask you in closing, uh, I, I don't know if you ever listened to the podcast Smartless. Uh, it's one of my absolute favorites. And they had filmmaker James Cameron on a short time ago. And uh, James Cameron was talking about AI and some of the interesting work, in particular CGI and filmmaking and things like that but 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 he's got some experience in the field and he talked about you know whether or not he was nervous about how ai might factor into humans future and and the conversation did get a bit whimsical i'll acknowledge but he suggested that if ai were to take over the world potentially it could already be happening and the brilliance of the AI would be that it would not be letting us know that the plan is already underway. Now, there's an element of ridiculousness to this, but also maybe not totally. Uh, you sound pretty excited, optimistic about the future of AI. I'm fascinated by it at a very entry level of understanding. Do you have concerns about AI? And if so, in closing, how would you recommend that the average human being approach their thinking around what's becoming such a pervasive and prevalent technology? Um, so no kidding, Ray. I have concerns about um, about these new technologies being developed uh, responsibly. So that that's that was the initial motivation of building GPD zero over, you know, basically a few sittings at my uh, lo- local second cup in Toronto um, and, and and sort of like building this out for the world to use sort of the the concerns is that one is when people are putting machine writing as their own work that's a concern that's the most immediate concern but a big picture concern and down the line into the future is that all of these ai and text generation technologies they're not coming up with original thoughts so imagine a world 10 20 years down the line where everybody is writing their essays with chat gpt then all of these essays are going to be exactly the same and they're going to look exactly the same. And no one is com- coming up with beautiful original compositions. And 
I think that's sad because there's something in the human language that computers can really never co-opt and should never be able to co-opt. Um, and that's worth preserving. So down the line, being able to write is still going to be an important skill. I love it. You can follow Edward Tian on, on Twitter at Edward underscore the six. Nice little Toronto shout out there. And uh, hey, man, it's been such a pleasure. We love talking to people that are smarter than us uh, because it elevates our dialogue. <laughs> Congratulations on that new app. And thanks for making time for us. Thanks, Ryan. And feel free to try out the app yourself. Yeah, I sure will. A hundred percent. I bet you a lot of people will after hearing this. Thanks, Edward. Uh, there you go. Love it. You know, it's like I, I, the guy's 22 yeah. and is just like running circles around everybody, which is awesome. But and I'm not going to reiterate what I always do when we have kids on who are geniuses. They, they but, make us feel stupid. <clears throat> but I, I love it's that funny kid, that 22 is a kid now. This is how old we're getting. It's get. funny that you're talking about chat GPT today because I was going to text you last night. I watched like I went into a Reddit forum. I got deep into chat GPT. Is that right? Night. Oh, yeah. What was one thing like as a late you, you, you understand tech better than I do. But what's like one fact or thing or or talking point that really jumped out at you about it? Well, obviously, everyone hears this immediately. They kind of get scared, right? They think like, oh, OK, AI is going to take over yeah. everything. But my first question was like okay does this mean like kids in school don't write essays anymore they don't write theses right uh and then i was looking at just some examples on youtube of people showing the the ai actually working and it is crazy you can tell it to write a four-page essay on world war ii and it'll do it but it's not perfect yet it's like when you put something into google translate right you still have to look at it yeah and it's sometimes not exactly what it should be so you'd still have to go over the essay and mm. make sure everything is correct and blah 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 but that's one of the concerns like he was bringing up will students just never write right anything ever again because they can tell a bot to do it but the other thing is we're already using ai in tons of ways that we don't even think about all the time like google literally is kind of an ai but in banking too like risk assessment and like now they're doing fraud detection with ai so ai is already here right it's oh kinda for sure like we uh, just haven't recognized it yet but this he's right it was kind of thrust on us and now we're like whoa yeah we had no idea well and i think it a big part smart. of the a big part of the digging the heels in and the whoa 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 comes with not understanding it or not yeah. fully understanding it how does it work what are the implications what are positive mm -hmm. applications what are concerning ones and that's mm -hmm. why we want to have those conversations i remember having a conversation on this show with someone an expert i don't even remember who it was maybe it was like 12 or 18 months ago but it was a, a totally different angle on ai and concerns around ai and that was shortlisting job applicants mm -hmm. and uh this guest was arguing i feel a little bit stupid i can't remember who it was but but i remember them arguing that that equity is a real concern because AI can exacerbate or amplify some of the, the challenges that some marginalized groups have had in past to, mm -hmm. for example, get jobs. You know, some people will argue that they don't get callbacks with their resume until they change their last name. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And then they change their last name and then all of a sudden they start getting a bunch of callbacks, which mm -hmm. is brutal. Um, but but AI has been exacerbating some of those trends in a negative way. So that would be another example of something we want to have on our radar, something we want to be aware of. Now, this comment from uh, Mindy in our live chat, she says, like, movies aren't even original anymore uh, like i mean some of them are but to a certain degree mindy's absolutely right and that was oh yeah i mean i would recommend people check out smart list is honestly the i i mean aside from real it's time, incredible it's like Gives one of the best podcasts yeah. such a good podcast and and james cameron i always thought he was a bit of a dick to be honest and uh he he's quite likable in that podcast i recommend you listen to it for an hour i mean this guy's one of the 
I mean, he's one of the most sort of prominent and uh, celebrated and highest grossing filmmakers of all time. And Mindy, I don't know if you heard the show or not, but that's exactly what he's talking about. In, mm-hmm. in particular, his new avatar. And they were talking about like the Avatar 2 or whatever they're calling it. And, and uh, you know, whether, how much of it is CGI, how much is human actors. And, mm-hmm. and you might be surprised. I don't know if I want to ruin so it for you. There's so much of it now. There's a lot, but... And it's subtle. I mean, he really is insistent on human talent in his movies. Yeah. So uh, you wonder, I mean, could we see an era? Could we see a day when, I mean, Johnny, you're big into like, you know, electronic music. <laughs> I was and house just going to say, like, do you even need composers anymore? Not even that. Like, I was thinking like one thing I've always wanted to do is learn how to code and, and to build mm-hmm. websites like from the ground up. Yeah. Like, you can go on Wix. Anybody can and design a website now. But I'd, I've loved to, I've always wanted to learn how to code really well. And ChatGPT gives that dream kind of a reality because now I can learn a bit, then tell ChatGPT what I want. It can help me with the code. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? So we're coming into this world where, and I know this is another scary thing, but where AI and humans are going to kind of start fusing together and working together. Yeah. And when we go to do things, it won't just be a human doing it anymore. You'll be having AI assist you the entire way. Yeah. Through, right? I mean, so. Elon Musk rolled out their new robot prototype the other day, and mm-hmm. I, I didn't pay too much attention to it. I'd get into it. But like, yeah, it's fascinating stuff. And, the, and then there's that Boston robotics company that does those, the ones where everybody, everyone sort of sees the Terminator when they're yeah. watching, you know, it's seeing this <laughs> stuff happen. But even you're talking about movies like I was watching Amsterdam with Christian Bale, his new movie yesterday. Is it good? And yeah, but they have like flashback scenes where they go back in time and you can clearly see like AI is being used to like make people look younger yeah. for those scenes. And it's so sure. subtle now that I'm like, they don't even use makeup anymore. They huh. just make you look younger on camera. So, and that stuff is kind of scary too. Like, you know, face detection and, and sure. All this, like, oh, yeah, hell yeah. yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Everybody it, on the but internet. It's also, it's scary, but it's also not. I mean, we, we are supposed to talk about other things on the show today, but I we, we get excited about something and we run with it. That's kind of how real life works. But, you know, we have things like Amber Alerts. Right. We're asking members of the public to keep an eye out for the red Buick with the following license plate or to look for this guy who's wanted by police and believed to be armed and dangerous. And, and they think he might be in Winnipeg mm-hmm. or he might be in Saskatoon. And yeah. everyone's, you know, I mean, facial recognition technology makes that kind of easy to track him down. But also that's scary as hell. But also it, it creates faces. So like you've got all the deep, st- deep fake stuff on the oh, web boy. where like. They're putting other people's heads on other people's bodies and making them say and do things that they didn't do. And it looks like real actual footage. So, yeah. Chad on we here says that, uh, oh, yeah, and we will. I mean, of course, this is something we'll follow and keep a keen eye on. And and Real Talkers, you factor into this as well. If there's a story or or a developer or a person, you know, some sort of like tech leader or industry leader you'd love for us to talk to, uh, we are grateful for your feedback. Your emails talk at ryanjesperson.com. Chad recommending the Edward Norton episode of Smartless. I just listened to that this weekend, Chad. So good. And uh, Ken makes a great point. Ken says, as somebody who's been in IT for 39 years, it is. Imp- what was IT like 39 years ago? Was that like, and Ken, I'm not making a disparaging comment. I'm serious. IT, that would have been like early networks, right? IT 39 years ago? That would have been some mm-hmm. interesting. Ken has, imagine what Ken has seen through the course <laughs> of his career with regards to workplaces scaling up on tech. Yeah. This guy understands it from the ground floor. Anyway, Ken says uh, it's imperative that anybody in the field ensures they get out in the real world with their friends and others having great conversations with humans. Ken, 
what a great point. You might argue the same about medicine, right? The same people uh, working as first responders. We're going to go there next. We're going to talk to a real talker. You know, Dr. Bradley Martin, if you're a regular consumer of this show, he's a great friend of the show. He's a family physician. And he's one of those that sent us an email yesterday following mine and Charles Adler's conversation about vaccine status and organ donation. That conversation's coming up in 90 seconds. Before we get there, I want to remind you it's a perfect time of year to compare rates on your utilities, electricity, natural gas and internet you do it right now in the province of alberta at parkpower.ca they're your friendly local utilities provider and they hate seeing people pay more than they have to no seriously they can't stand it they're a family-owned business they understand people are trying to keep as much money in their jeans as they can well if you're on a regulated rate or a variable rate for electricity you're paying more than you have to Hey, to be honest, a lot of you are probably going, I don't even know what rate I'm paying. I just pay the bill every month and I'm noticing it's higher than usual. Well, Park Power's current fixed electricity rate plans almost half the cost of the regulated rate option. You can sign up today at parkpower.ca. Speaking of power and energy, this spring is a perfect time to get solar panels up on your roof. There's some great incentives right now, including from the Fed's a 10-year, up to $40,000 interest-free loan. It's the Canada Greener Homes Grant. Kubi Energy has you covered with all the details. They'll even do the paperwork for you. You can get your free quote today for solar in BC and Alberta at kubienergy.ca. Their Tesla certified installers are, well, they're drawing up the plans for installs through the winter months. And as soon as those roofs are safe to be up there, they are installing solar agricultural, industrial, commercial, residential. Kubi does it all at kubienergy.ca. And a big shout out to our friends at Friesen Brothers. Are you looking for some recipe inspiration? Like spaghetti and meatballs is great. Everybody loves chicken tacos. But when you're going to the same well every week, well, why not look for a little bit of new inspiration, recipe inspiration at Friesen.com. That's F-R-E-S-O-N. In 16 Alberta communities, they've got the freshest ingredients as close to home as possible. They're Alberta-grown, Alberta-owned at Friesen Brothers. All right. Well, we want to give you the floor uh, right now. And Dr. Bradley Martin standing by. We're going to get to him in just a couple of seconds. Here's the Coles notes. Yesterday, Charles Adler and I kick off an impromptu conversation about a somewhat prominent court case, although I'd argue it's flying under the radar. It's a story here in Alberta. A woman's lost two court challenges to remain on a list, a wait list to receive an organ, a donated organ. We don't know what organ it is. I'm not sure that it matters uh, in the context of the conversation, but she is ineligible because she's not received the COVID vaccine. We talked about whether or not we're okay with that. Neither of us are medical professionals. We're sharing our opinions like anybody else might. It undeniably lit a fire under this audience. And when we say it's your show, when we say we care what you have to say, we mean it. And so we're going to get into the mailbag right now. These are not the full emails we've received. These are excerpts so we can get to as many as we can. Cheryl wrote in to talk at RyanJesperson.com, said, Hello, Dr. Jesperson. I thoroughly enjoyed the consult you had with Dr. Adler about the eligibility of patients based on vaccine requirements. Maybe you could review all the required transplant protocol and weigh in with your expert advice. I'm sure it would be greatly appreciated by fellow trained medical personnel to have someone of your caliber fair 
ferret through the requirements and get rid of any that you deem to be politically motivated. All right, so so Cheryl was was tweaking the sarcasm button a little bit. She wasn't thrilled, nor was Jared. Jared writes, Jespo, what the fuck was going on during your organ transplant and vaccine status discussion with Charles? It felt like both of you just turned your brains off for a minute to get needlessly mad at something that's already been happening in Canada for decades without society getting itself all worked up into knots. I've got news for everybody, says Jared. We are living in a country where you may not get an organ transplant based on your medical record. You'll still receive treatment and care, but a transplant is not a right. He says this is a nuanced topic primarily because it's driven by utilitarian ethics. It aims to maximize the good to society, not the individual. Organs are not like other forms of medical treatment, like like the ER or going to see a dentist or a doctor because they're a scarce resource. We can't just hire or build more organs if we run out of them. Uh, Jared highlights in bold for every 10 Canadians who received a transplant in 2021, one Canadian died waiting and 15 are still waiting in line. We got an email from Sylvia who says your discussion with Charles Adler infuriated me. She says you should withhold opining on subjects that you clearly know nothing about. This story has nothing to do with your gut feelings. All patients going on that transplant list are required to be vaccinated for everything to ensure the best environment for the success of the transplant. And it has nothing to do with political opinion, extremes of opinion, or even equality. She says, if you wish to know more about the requirements for transplants, please get some experts on that from Sylvia. I appreciated this from Tanya, who says I've been catching most shows over the podcast, but it's been a long time since I've had the drive to write in and engage. But today's discussion with the most excellent Charles Adler about vaccines was the tipping point to pull me off the rhetorical sofa. Tanya says, let me start with the emotion and move to the science. As the daughter of somebody who died suddenly, I'm sorry, Tanya, and was an organ donor and an aunt to a child with cancer, my immediate reaction to that exchange was, are you fucking kidding me, you guys? A bit over the top, I'll acknowledge, but when venting to my sister, she also responded with, do Chuck and Jespo realize how the families of those donors would be horrified to have those organs treated so poorly? Organs are the most precious gift a dying or deceased person can offer. I agree with you there, Tanya. She says, I remember vividly the tears in my mom's eyes as she read the thank you letters from the recipient families. The gratitude the recipients had at their second chance in life is something more profound than words can manage. They're also a terribly finite resource and must be treated as such. Tanya continues and says, this is where the science and medicine and ethics come in and my healthcare professional hat comes out. She says, the hard facts are we do not have enough organs to meet the need. And many other times in medicine, choices around how to use finite resources need to be made. I can understand how that may rub people the wrong way and that it may not be your Canada. But in reality, yes, it is. We don't have the money to fund every multi-million dollar drug treatment for every rare disease. We don't have the money to keep every patient in ICU indefinitely in the slim hope they recover one day. We don't have the resources to offer everybody the exact same opportunity to access a limited amount of treatments. Choices must be made and are made every day under the guidance of clinicians and ethicists. That from Tanya. We received more. I'll leave some time to get to more emails, but let's go now live to Hinton, Alberta, the gateway to beautiful Jasper National Park. That's where Dr. Bradley Martin practices medicine 
and tunes into Real Talk Live from time to time. A wonderful friend of this show. It's nice to see your face again. Happy New Year. Thanks for making time for us. Hey, thanks for having me. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah, we can hear you great. You've always been a, a thoughtful presence on this show, and, and, and you sent us a wonderful email, and I could have just read it along with all the other ones, but I thought I'd rather just chat with you. So where did you come at this conversation from yesterday? What was your gut instinct? Pull no punches. Yeah, um, so I, I, I thought uh, when you guys were talking about um, uh, this case, and then, and then Chuck had mentioned about well, what would, uh, I think it was a paramedic or EMS crew, they would withhold care um, due to a vaccine status. And, and prior to that, you had made, made that mention. And, and I, I said, whoa, that's, I don't think that's what's actually happening when it comes to transplant lists. It's not, a, it's not a, it's not a moral judgment against anybody. So when, when I heard you guys sp- speaking, I, I actually totally understood where you guys came from. I wouldn't want to live in that Canada either, where we would withhold care like that. So I thought I would just email and reach out to why maybe they would be disqualified from a list based on vaccine status, but it would, you know, it's not from a moral standpoint. It'd be more from a medical one. Now you told us that you've had several patients who've, who have received organs, uh, who have been mm-hmm. donor recipients. Uh, obviously you've had some insight, I suppose, into, into their medical care, some involvement in their care uh, prior to the donation and then after the donation as well, which gives you certainly a unique perspective. Yeah. And, and, and I definitely have the caveat that I'm not on a transplant team or have any, you know, insight into exactly what their lists comprise of or what, what all their criteria are. But I do know that most of my patients, I think all of them, they, they, they have requirement of vaccine, um, you know, up-to-date vaccines, uh, most of what you and I would have, plus some special ones, depending on the organ. Um, and, I, and my guess is now COVID is just, you know, with COVID being kind of background milieu virus that we have nowadays, just part of the air now, I would suspect a COVID vaccine would be a part of that standard requirement. It's uh, it's interesting, isn't it? As we like, and no one's going to step up and proclaim this pandemic to be over. Uh, that, that's the you know, and that's certainly not reality. Um, and and I know that public health uh, workers would 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 have something to say about that. Looking at the the numbers that we see, but society is starting to move in a direction of emerging from a pandemic. I mean, the evidence Mm -hmm. is everywhere. Whether it's over or not, you go to a grocery store or a hockey game or whatever, and, you know, maybe, you know, two to five percent of people are wearing masks and more power to them. That's great. Within the medical profession, there are interesting developments, I'm sure, as well with regards to the culture. I mean, I've, I've talked to ICU nurses. I've talked to respiratory therapists. I've talked to physicians who, who have discussed the fact that unvaccinated patients are disproportionately represented in hospital, and they're still receiving the same care and treatment. One very candid individual spoke to me in confidence, telling me that they perceive an unvaccinated person in an ICU to be the same sort of situation as somebody who's driven drunk. Their words, not mine. Driven drunk and sustained an injury in the motor vehicle accident. They believe that that person made a choice that put themselves at risk, but still is receiving medical attention. Yesterday's conversation prompts some thinking, I hope, about what society looks like moving forward with two groups of people. Whether we like to classify it like that or not, there are people that got vaccinated and there are people that didn't. How do you see it playing out in medicine? Yeah, I mean, I think I think people have different thoughts. I mean, during the pandemic, when it came to 
when masks were required and before the vaccine, when the masks and everything else were part of what we could do to keep each other safe and we had people that are anti that, I think that's a whole different breed. I think if you choose not to be vaccinated, that is your right. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I worry for people that most of those choices are, are coming from some ill science, obviously. But I, I think even, even saying that there are two types of people, I mean, as a physician, I don't really see it that way. I mean, everybody's a patient of mine. You know, I see people drunk and emerge. And, you know, I, you know, I have different people, different eMERGE talks, you know, I've talked to in the city that have different um, ideals about people that do that and whether or not they should receive care. Uh, you know, being drunk is a medical in issue, especially if you're really wasted. I mean, it's a medical emergency. You can't stand up. You can't take care of yourself, right? So I think everybody deserves care regardless of what they do. I think to put the, you know, the nuance when it comes to vaccines and transplants, and again, not being a transplant physician or, 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 or crew member, I think the biggest thing is, um, and, and some of the emails that you just read from, they, they, they touched on that. I think one thing I want to say, though, is I think we can have a bit of a decorum when we, when we debate these things. Um, um, just because you guys had an opinion you had, I don't think anybody needs to jump down your throat with it. That's real talk. I mean, we're allowed to have our opinions and, and talk about things. But uh, to go back to this case a little bit, what I notice is, um, you know, the immune system is a big part of the body. And when we get a, a transplant, so the immune system obviously does a couple things. Uh, one, obviously, fights infections, does what we need to do. But the other thing the immune system does, as I mentioned in the email yesterday, that we don't want it to do is it rejects organs very hard. Like if you get a new organ, even if the blood types match and all the markers or dozens of markers you have to match for an organ. So to get the right organ takes a lot of work anyways. Mm. But even when that happens, the immune system will reject that organ. Your body will fight that organ quite readily. So people that are immune transplant recipients are put on heavy duty, or usually depends on the organ, it's different severity, but they're often put on anti-rejection medications that one of their main functions is to actually decrease or even close to eliminate the immune system. So you're a very immunocompromised patient. So, and we talk about immunocompromised people, people with COPD and different lung issues during the COVID you know, pandemic, but a uh, post-transplant immunocompromised patient is like the most immunocompromised people will get. It's pretty severe. Um, so, so what 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 entails there is most transplant patient patients need to have regular vaccines to help build up whatever immunity antibodies they will get to the different viruses that they'll be very susceptible to. So people are so immunocompromised after a transplant that you know they could they could look at a screen that says the word COVID and catch it. Like it's just that right. much more likely they'll catch it and that much more likely they'll get very sick from it because their immune system is shot. Uh, do the transplant or drugs. So I, I think, you know, and again, this is a little bit of projection. I don't want to pretend I know anything about this court case, but um, uh, from what I can understand is that because people are so susceptible to infections post-transplant, they need to have the vaccines ahead of time to do the best they can to prevent getting those viruses. Um, because, you know, two of the, you know, two of the many things that can go wrong with a transplant that can you know, cause it to basically be wasted. Um, it's a little bit blunt, but it is what it is, is rejection. If people don't take the reje anti-rejection medications and possibly infection, if you have a newly transplanted organ and there's a decent infection that happens to it, it could be, it could be gone because it, it you know, and also an infection can cause rejection to happen as well. So, so my suspicion is they want people to be vaccinated because they don't want the organ to end up 
failing. Well, and I, I, I don't even yeah. think that's that's like I can't proclaim anything, but I don't think that's your suspicion. You're obviously correct. Mm. And there's mm. obviously like maybe we didn't make this. I mean, I sometimes you go, I think that some things go without saying, but then you realize you should still say them uh, like there's obviously science. There's obviously scientific or evidence based wisdom behind these policies. Right. But that doesn't mean like society doesn't just function in a way where where scientists or policymakers proclaim things or write things into law or set policy. And we don't have the ability to discuss them or to talk about how they make us feel. There's important platforms that have to exist. This is one of them where we mm -hmm. can talk about things and then we and we fact check them. And if it's possible, we fact check them in real time. And if not, we reflect how people, how the conversation makes people feel or how it lands with people or resonates with people and talk to the experts. And that's what a reputable forum does. And we'll continue to do that. You touched on the anger yesterday. I mean, I didn't read the angriest emails and some of the tweets were really nasty, but <laughs> I'm sitting there going like, you may not love the opinion. You may not love the conversation. I may not love my own opinion upon more serious or longer reflection but that doesn't invalidate the need for conversations that doesn't mean Absolutely. that people can't find nuance and debate and discuss the type of society or the type of world we want to live in and like if, if the ability to have those conversations disappears and people are just in camps where there is black and white right and wrong with no room for nuance no room for the gray areas then I don't quite frankly want to participate in that. So this to me is how this is supposed to go. We're talking mm. to somebody who knows what he's talking about. We're getting some feedback from audience members that come at this from very different angles. I'm about to read from a donor. Uh, I'm about to get into a really great one. Um, but doctor, I'm, I'm just so grateful for your time, your expertise, your measured and informed analysis. Uh, we're so grateful to call you a community member and a real talker. Thanks for this. I was just wondering if I could ch chime in for one more quick thing. Whatever here. you like, floor is yours. Um, yeah, just, uh, yeah. And I agree with you. And I think that's exactly right. What you're talking about having these forums, because you can believe in the science of all this, but still be upset that somebody that chooses not to be vaccinated is off the list. Mm. Where's the nuance in the fact that maybe they can be on the list. They're just lower down now because that organ might not work as well on them. Again, there's a lot of nuance there. And I think that's, that's my biggest point is the nuance with transplant is so much there. And as some of the emails and, and you guys touched upon it yesterday, there are two patients when it comes to an organ transplant, the donor as well as the recipient. And I think, I think, you know, medicine is what it is when it comes to recommendations from physicians and whatnot, but transplant medicine is just on this pedestal a little bit higher that there's a lot more to it. Ethicists get involved a lot more. So I, I think it is that nuance. Uh, and, and as you say, that's what we need to, you know, flesh out the gray area a little bit. The nuance is the important part, having the camps and some of the rhetoric that you got, it just doesn't make any sense because, you know, that's what the show is about. If people don't like the, you know, it's your show. It's you guys, you run the show. If you guys aren't allowed to have an opinion, then what's the point? Yeah. Your, your whole form is to let us have our opinion. So you should have it too. But, hey, and, uh, and listen, yeah. and sometimes we step in it. Like, like it was yeah, clear to me. Totally. Yes. It was clear to me yesterday, very clear that it was an unpopular conversation. Uh, but that doesn't mean to me that it wasn't worthwhile because we're, we're following up. We're learning more. We're challenging our understanding of things. Um, and hopefully as an audience and as individuals, we're growing. That's the whole point. Exactly. Thanks, Doc. It's so nice to see your face.
Thanks, guys. You got it. That's uh, Dr. Bradley Martin, just a wonderful friend of the show, uh, practices medicine out of Hinton and surrounding areas, uh, as you know, if you've heard him on the show before. Uh, Wyatt Sharp's coming up. Uh, I wanted to get to a couple of other ones. By the way, I saw that Tanya, I read her email or a portion of it. She was in the live chat, which is great. I love that she was in there. She said, remember, everybody, sign your donor cards, and we encourage you to do so. Hey, here's another conversation. We don't have time to get into it because I want to get to this email, but but we, we've had it on the show before, the opt-out versus opt-in policies on organ donation. Right now, you've mm-hmm. got to opt-in. A lot of people believe it should be uh, adjusted or amended to an opt-out. Sure. You know, um, and of course, there's a lot of uh, discussion and debate that comes along with that. But that's mm-hmm. another thing that I think there's there's room for healthy debate and dialogue on. So, yeah, opt out. And I love healthy debate. But you know what I love more, Ryan? What's that, John? Is when people send you emails yelling at you. Yes, I, just, I, I, I get bet a you kick do. out of it. I so. know you get a kick out of it. I so can more hear of you, those, please. I can hear you laughing from the other room. Uh, Holly wrote in and she said, you know, I'm listening to your conversation about the requirement of COVID-19 vaccines in order to receive a transplant. Both of you somewhat appalled at the thought of medical care being denied based on vaccine status. Uh, the rejection of an organ recipient was likened to being left on the side of the road by an ambulance if paramedics were able to determine that an accident victim was unvaccinated. Uh, what you were speculating on truly would be disturbing, unethical, and not the Canada that any of us want. But I urge you both, Charles and Ryan, to see the transplant topic from a medical risk-benefit analysis, a resource perspective. There's already very specific criteria in place regarding one's ability to qualify to receive an organ. Uh, a patient in organ failure does not automatically make the list. By the way, Holly's uh, been an RN in acute care for almost 20 years. Uh, I should tell you that. Uh, she says organs are a precious, precious, scarce resource available only in tragic circumstances. Right? The decision to proceed is weighed against potential outcomes. And one is excluded from the list if there's a lower chance of a successful outcome. That's why those that are actively drinking or using drugs, for example, those of an advanced age, for example, or those who are unable or unwilling to participate in post-transplant medical regimes are, quite frankly, excluded. After an organ transplant, as Dr. Martin just said, uh, the recipient must be on anti-rejection drugs for the rest of their life. These are immunosuppressive. Infections of any kind, including COVID-19, carry a much larger risk of hospitalization and death. She goes on to say people wait months to years for organs. Many die while on the wait list. I think it was Jared that said that earlier. With organs so scarce, the recipient list multiple times larger than the donor list, there has to be a triage process in place. She says patients in all of the circumstances that I've witnessed get equal health care regardless of personal vaccination status. Please understand the organ donation issue is quite separate from most other scenarios in health care. That from Holly. And I wanted to make sure I read this from Karen. She says, I, I listened to your broadcast and I wanted to share a different perspective from the position that you and Charles took uh, regarding denying transplants to a woman who refused the COVID vaccine. I have personal experience with the assessment process from a patient perspective, and I understand why the standards are as rigorous as they are. Karen says, I was diagnosed with a rare blood cancer several years ago that causes a crazy high risk of blood clots. Over the years, I've had several clots in the veins and arteries feeding my liver, which is now in really rough shape. I hung on for more than a decade, but things took a downturn for me last fall. And so I began the assessment process for an organ transplant. It took months of tests and, and blood work and social worker interviews involving my family and friends and, and even involved specialists from five different medical disciplines. 
The message was made clear to me throughout my assessment that I would not be given, uh, it would not be a given rather, that I would be approved. There are approximately 200 Albertans awaiting transplant on the list at any given time with about 250 transplants done here every year. She says these numbers are from Alberta Health Services. So let's say 500-ish Albertans annually need organs. It would only be the people most likely to have a higher chance of a good outcome who would be approved. Organs for transplant come from the grace and generosity of families of the deceased, and doctors are obligated to honor this gift, which is rare, precious, and in tragically short supply through a very thorough, responsible assessment process. Karen says, ultimately, I was denied a transplant. One of my blood clots is a bit too close to my heart, meaning that the risk-reward assessment goes the wrong way for me. Regardless, I'm still trucking, and I plan to do so as long as I'm able, and I don't begrudge the unimaginably difficult decision that the medical team made. I do sympathize with the woman involved in this story. She's likely in a fight for her life, as are all of us who need a transplant. But if she is eligible for transplant, if not for her vaccine status, I think it's important to note that if you do get a transplant, you need to take an immunosuppressant drug for the rest of your life. And we're having that reiterated. And of course, it's relevant. She says, I don't envy the people that have to make these decisions around who qualifies and where they sit on the priority list. But standards are essential to helping the transplant team make the near impossible decision in an environment where there's not enough organs to meet the needs. That from Karen. How's that for powerful? And Karen, the words are not adequate. May I say we are cheering for you. And we're grateful to have you as a member of this community. You can send us your thoughts. This is not the end of this conversation. We've already floated invitations to some medical ethicists. And, and we love getting into you know, discussions that, that, that push us out of our comfort zone, that force us to consider other perspectives, that allow us an opportunity to learn from other people. And that wouldn't happen without your involvement, Real Talkers, and we're grateful for your emails. Wyatt Sharp's coming up in 90 seconds. I wanted to let you know between now and then, look at that, the host of the Wyatt Sharp Show, ready to go. Our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park are shouting from the rooftops of their locations in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. It is buy one, get one free when it comes to boxes of the wildly popular Dilly Bars, the dairy-free dillies and the DQ sandwiches through the month of January. That's right. They come in six packs, boxes of six, which for John and I is enough to get us through an afternoon. Yeah, and just so you know, there's no limit. I've been going back every no, other, there's no limit every other day to the you same can, Dairy uh, Queen, and they're like, "You again? Yeah, let me get two more." It's like picking up a cord of wood <laughs> in the back of your pickup truck. The weather's perfect right now to pick up a cord of dillies. Yeah, a cord of sandwiches. Buy one get one free. Boxes of six at the Dairy Queens of North. West Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Hey, Trash Talk's coming up on Friday. Uh, Johnny, I did save a couple emails from yesterday afternoon for Trash Talk on Friday just because the authors put in, let's say, a little bit more effort using their flamethrowers, and we thought that would be a nice fit for Trash Talk. Presented by our friends at Local Environmental Services. What do they do? Well, they do more than just garbage. Check out their website if you want to know what they mean by that at localenvironmental.ca. They believe that communities in Alberta and Saskatchewan deserve better better than you're getting with regards to service prices support for local causes let us show you how we can help at local environmental services that's local environmental 
www.apexautomation.ca. And a big shout out to our wonderful friends at Apex Automation. They are leading the way when it comes to skilled engineers and automation technologists across the country giving people back their time. That's a two-way street. Their clients, we're talking about leaders in industry like pipelines, natural gas processing, chemical manufacturing, potash mining, robotics, material handling, like overhead cranes, conveyor belts, brewing. Apex is automating projects across the country using the most skilled staffers you're going to meet. And that's why their staff has tripled in the last three years. Yeah, that's right. Congratulations to Apex Automation. In the next week or so, opening their brand new office in Saskatoon. If you're looking for a change of pace as a professional engineer, check out the careers link today at apexautomation.ca. Well, quite frankly, I love this next guest. Uh, He knocked my socks off the first time we spoke. At that time, I think he was 12. He started his own talk show. His episodes glean thousands of views, and he secures the biggest interviews. He sits down with Canadian premiers. He sits down with the prime minister, and he's earned the respect of his peers in Canadian media despite his teenage status. He's the host of the Wyatt Sharp Show. Wyatt Sharp, it's so wonderful to see your face, my man. Thank you for making time for us, and welcome back to Real Talk. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, how, how, how did you wrap up your, your holiday season and into the new year? What, what does life look, for you, look like for you right now? Uh, well, on, on my show, I did a, a year-end political quiz show, which is always fun to see people strategists who I interview who are always, you know, in a very serious, a very political mood, uh, kind of just r- relax and take a step back and, and just have some fun. So, so that was fun. And then uh, with my family, we had, we had Christmas dinner and uh, got together, which was nice. And then we did the same for New Year's. Um, so, yeah, it was great to spend some time with with friends and family over the holiday, something that doesn't happen too often, I'm sure. Yeah, no kidding. Well, so so you're, did, did you step out of class to talk to us today? Is this, is this why we're lucky enough to get you? Is this like your lunch hour? Is that what's going on? Indeed, yes. Yeah, well, we appreciate you sharing your lunch hour with us, Wyatt. You've, you've had an opportunity to talk to some of the biggest, uh, most prominent and most powerful newsmakers in Canada. As you reviewed your 2022 and as you head into 2023, what were a, a couple of the interviews that you conducted that really made an impression on you? Um, just the other day, I talked to Ambassador John Bolton for the second time, which was interesting. He gave his take on a lot of things, specifically the two-year anniversary of January 6th. And as of recently, I've been starting to interview more American political figures. And um, I didn't necessarily realize how big of an impact you know, a day that um, happened two years ago is still having on American politics because of the significance and importance surrounding that day and, and surrounding what needs to happen as we move forward from that day. And Ambassador John Bolton was just one of the people who who touched on that. I also had Stephanie Grisham on the show, who was the former White House press secretary. And she was interesting because John Bolton was also interesting, but he resigned way before January 6th, whereas Stephanie Grisham actually stepped down right on January 6th. So it's interesting to kind of get a behind the scenes look at that. And then as we enter 2023, obviously, I'm still kind of wondering what will happen with that. And here in Canada, well, there's obviously lots of things in Alberta, there's going to be a 
provincial election. I have an interview with uh, Premier Smith next week, so um, that'll be interesting. And, and I've interviewed Rachel Notley before as well. So um, with the election in Alberta and then uh, a number of other provincial elections from across the country as well, it, it might be an indication as to, you know, how big the conservative movement is or whether it's going up, whether it's going down, especially in a province like Alberta. You don't really treat your show like you're a pundit. Uh, you, you, you certainly promote and, and celebrate the, you know, your approach as an unbiased interview, but, but you must get the odd gut instinct. Uh, you, you pay keen attention, obviously, to what's happening around you. What are a couple of the storylines that you're watching in Alberta, or what are you expecting to happen leading up to May? This is looking like it's going to be a pretty serious horse race between Danielle Smith and Rachel Notley. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I feel like whenever you have such a, a tight margin in a leadership race, because Danielle Smith didn't win the leadership of the UCP by a very <clears throat> large margin. Um, so when, when you had such that tight margin between herself, between Travis Taves, um, it, it doesn't necessarily signalize a lot of unity within the UCP. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure now, um, you know, as any party does after a leadership race, they they do come together. But that's one thing that I'll be watching for is how can the UCP you know, unite behind Danielle Smith, something that they weren't able to do under Jason Kenney. Um, and then how can the NDP perhaps counter that? Is the NDP more united than uh, the UCP behind their leader, Rachel Notley? Remember, she was obviously the premier before as well. Um, so I guess the question is, do Albertans want uh, four more years of Rachel Notley after her already being the premier? And um, I guess, too, when you look at what Danielle Smith has already done with her um, Sovereignty Act, etc., um, I mean, that was obviously talked about a lot. Um, I, I guess I'm curious to see how much that's talked about in the provincial campaign or whether that kind of, you know, fades away and, and doesn't get talked about all that much. Similar, I guess, to in the Ontario election where, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily talked about uh, with, you know, education or, or long term care as much as it had impacted people over two years prior. Let me let me ask you something, Wyatt. You talk about behind the scenes looks. Uh, you give us a behind the scenes look of the Wyatt Sharp show. I mean, I, I've seen you in action uh, and, and, and and unless things have changed since the last time we spoke, you produce your own show as well, which is a lot of work. It's a lot of heavy lifting. How are you lining up these interviews? Do you, do you find it challenging to, to get folks attention? And, 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 and I know you won't. I, I Don't take the question the wrong way. But just simply based on your age, do, do, do you have to convince people to take the show seriously because once people speak with you once people talk to you they get that you're deadly serious about what you do but do you think is there an added challenge to lining up some of these enormous conversations that you're having um it's funny you mentioned that and I, i'm not going to name names but the other day i was um trying to schedule an interview with someone and before they eventually uh said yes um i I looked back because it was like a, a chain of multiple staffers in the email. And and one of the points in the email was uh, essentially talking about one of them was like, he's 13. The other one was like, oh, that's different or whatever. And then, and then the next one was like, but we're still going to do it. So, I mean, that made me feel good in, in a respect of, you know, people don't necessarily care about that too much. Um, obviously, it, it's quite evident that I'm 13, uh, which I'm obviously not going to hide to anyone, but uh, people have always been accepting and, and willing to come on. I would say, um, obviously, 
they're they're probably more likely to make time for bigger outlets as i'm sure maybe you know as well you might have a harder time yourself getting guests um like any you know online outlet at least for now might have than you know over say cbc or, or ctv or global news or, or whatever the case may be but well, uh, no everyone's been fairly good yeah yeah i don't know i i, I that's an interesting uh debate to have i think honestly the interviews that we request i think that the appeal here is that it's longer form discussion um, and I think a lot of times people feel clipped, so to speak. They feel like they'll grant an interview to a mainstream outlet and 14 seconds of what they say or two minutes of what they say will actually make it to air. And I know that's frustrating for people. We've got a whole bunch of people in our live chat right now that are saying, you need to grill Premier Smith. You need to ask her tough questions. This is a hilarious comment. from uh, Tony says, I don't think why it'll be throwing softball questions at her, unlike the local media here in Alberta. That's from Tony, who's not happy about what she's seen clearly from Alberta based journalists and interviewers uh but uh anyway that made me laugh um why for f- folks that haven't heard uh, there are some in, in the chat that are just asking like how does a guy like this get started like Artie miss wonders how did he actually start his talk show and start lining up these these interviews can can, can you take us back to day one when, when you first launched well like actual day one was probably just sitting at home looking online at different news articles and then um, I think what it was is one of the news articles had like mentioned a specific MP and then I went and looked up the MP because it was, you know, a, an MP who doesn't have a lot of name recognition and I looked him up and then it led me to the House of Commons website and then I, I was looking through it and then um, I realized their contact information was on the website. So I started just sending a, an, an email to the, you know, basic at parl.gc.ca emails to different members of parliament who, even though I didn't know a lot about, still thought that the premise would be interesting. And then they started saying yes. So then I started educating myself more before I uh, talked with them. And then uh, I started, you know, writing articles for uh, local newspapers, which I do still do. A lot of people are um, make comments now about how my show is growing and ask whether or not I still write articles for the local newspaper, which I do still do. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then I started eventually it just kept on growing and growing and it went from MPs to, to cabinet ministers and then from cabinet ministers to eventually getting an interview with the prime minister. And then, um, now I've been able to speak with a lot of other people worldwide as well, which has been, uh, honestly, uh, two years ago, maybe a bit over two years ago, if you had told me that one of those MPs would have said yes to coming on my show, then I would have been excited about that, let alone some of the people who have so graciously come on. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've told you this before in private, and I'll say it publicly. I, 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 I really sort of approach complimenting you with caution because I think sometimes the compliment comes across as a backhanded compliment where if I were to say something like, I can't wait to see what you're doing when you're 18 or 21, it implies that what you're doing right now isn't already marvelous and spectacular. And I'm so impressed, Wyatt, at the, the, the caliber of your interviews and the quality of your show and the conviction that you operate which, with, which, which I just absolutely love. I wanted to ask you this in closing. I'm, I'm, I've been doing a little bit of Googling. Do you consider yourself, based on your age range, I'm getting two different answers, um, you're either Gen Z or Gen Alpha. Uh, do you do you consider yourself to be one or you know a member of one or both of those gens? I'm pretty sure I'm Gen Z only because I'm working on an interview with uh, a member of Congress right now, and um, his staffer pointed out that if, when we eventually do do it, that 
It would be Gen Z interviewing Gen Z because he's the first ever Gen Z member to be elected to oh, Congress. Oh, cool. Um, so uh, with that, I think it's Gen Z. Okay, so I, we'll I'm go with Gen Z. Kind of- so let me ask you, what would in, in, in your assessment of, of one issue, uh, this podcast for the most part, this audience is, is kind of like 25 to 55 biggest numbers. And, and, and then, of course, we have li- listeners and subscribers outside of that age range. But on the younger end of our demographic, we want to make sure that we're serving that audience. Uh, we want to make sure that we're having uh, discussions and, and conducting interviews that matter and are of interest to the leaders of today and tomorrow. What's one story that you're keeping an eye on? It could be political or otherwise somewhere across the country that you think is of particular interest to you you and maybe your fellow Gen Zers? Um, well, I mean, the one that would impact everyone most right now would be education, just because it, it impacts, you know, day-to-day life, the the funding for it. I mean, in Ontario, there was um, big issues with, with QP and the government and, and the negotiations with the tentative agreement and, and lots that happened there. But I guess when you look to, to the future, um, education is going to impact people a lot now, and it's going to impact um, even the people it's impacting now still a long while from now because of, you know, their kids and, and stuff like that. But, um, when you look at, you know, there'll be lots of things like the, the cost of housing, for example, when, um, Generation Z, as it's called, uh, goes to, to start looking for a home, uh, when, you know, they, they graduate from university or college or, or once they're in their older years. So lots, lots to look out for, but those are probably the the top two that'll impact people at different times. Awesome. Keep it up, my man. I think, I think I'm going to get us both in trouble. It should probably be G- Gen Z as opposed okay. to Z. That's, that's me. I'm, I'm leading us in the, in the wrong direction, <laughs> but uh, Hey, Wyatt, uh, we're big fans. We're subscribers to your show and we encourage our audience members to do the same. Uh, you can find Wyatt Sharp, of course, on YouTube. Just Google the Wyatt Sharp show and check out his recent interviews, including with John Bolton uh, and others, his feature on the top political news of 2022. And of course, his interviews features with the federal political party leaders, the great Wyatt Sharp. Proud to call you a friend, my man. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye, Ryan. Yeah, you got it. Impressive. Uh, young man and an impressive broadcaster. I just love You're lining his, up the youngins today. Well, I mean, it's just like, you know, we're just talking to people that are, that are, uh, you know, leading the charge in their respective industries. And I've just been so impressed with what Wyatt's doing his perspective when I was his age. I know I keep mm-hmm. saying this and I don't want to keep like treating like I'm patting him on the head or something. But like when I was his age, I was a, like, I was a young offender when I was his age. I was, I was literally, I, I feel safe about the future having these, right. These young adults come on. Yeah, and I agree. Yeah. I love it. Love that guy. Uh, again, uh, this is, uh, uh, you know, obviously uh, we hope an opportunity for you to, to learn something new or to meet somebody new, to have somebody new on your radar. And, and quite frankly, if, if you're the parent of a, of, a, of a tween or a teen, tell them about Wyatt Sharp. This is like the voice of their generation doing a national talk show. Really impressive stuff. And of course, we'll be hearing from Wyatt again in future. That conversation is presented uh, by our friends at Eden Landscaping. Mike and his team, it's a family-owned business, has been since inception for more than 20 years. Want to remind you that this is a perfect time of year. Yes, you're not thinking about like mowing the lawn or you're, you're not even thinking about the tulips and daffodils coming up yet, but that doesn't mean it's not a perfect time to start talking about landscaping design. You know, sometimes these projects take a little bit longer than you might expect, not because anybody's dilly-dallying, but just because permits have to be pulled. And and sometimes you got to be getting those really unique, those, those really wonderful construction materials. You want that stunning stonework. You want that breathtaking timber. 
It can take a while to procure. It's why you're going to want to start that discussion today. You can learn how they work at Eden Landscaping by visiting the link on their website. That's landscapeedmonton.ca. And don't forget to let them know you heard about Eden Landscaping on Real Talk. Every Tuesday, our friends at Leading Edge Physiotherapy celebrate innovation, in particular innovation and trend setting when it comes to personal health and wellness. It's the bedrock of their business at Leading Edge Physiotherapy, and it's a tradition here on Real Talk every week. It's the Leading Edge. And in this week's edition of The Leading Edge, John, I've been looking forward to showing this to you for a while. This is super cool. Have you heard of the EV ring? I have. The EV ring is, this is made by a company called Movano, okay? And they're creating the first wearable fitness tracker that will be FDA certified as a medical device in order to raise the bar on accuracy and reliability in wearables. I'm going to be honest. This is something that that I can't say was 100% on my radar. It seems like everybody's wearing fitness trackers these Mm -hmm. days. But how do you know if they're accurate or not? I mean, how do you know if the subsequent decisions based on the data from these fitness trackers is actually informed? I mean, the unfortunate truth about a lot of today's fitness trackers is that they don't have to be accurate and a lot of them aren't. And so Movano is working to release medical grade fitness trackers. Now that's significant. What's also significant is that most of the tech is currently designed with men in mind, and then it's eventually adjusted to address the needs of women. Movano's flipping the script with its EV ring by making the product primarily for women and optimized for women's health. They're going to release the EV ring in mid-2023. Everybody's buzzing about it right now, and fitness trackers for men will follow. For their commitment to accuracy and informed decisions, for their commitment to women's health and overall health and well-being, we celebrate the EV ring by placing it in the Leading Edge Spotlight this week. Presented by our friends at Leading Edge Physiotherapy. Life shouldn't hurt. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we're going to be sitting down in studio with two Canadians on uh, virtually the eve of their departure for Ukraine. They're part of a group that's going to be teaching combat care to police and firefighters over there. This is the same group that's already sent over fire trucks and bunker gear, millions of dollars worth of support as Ukraine continues to fight against Russian aggression. These are the movers and shakers you expect to see on the show, and we'll see you tomorrow. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. 
Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.